Okay, we are live. We're live. Hello, Alexander in London, and hello, Levan. Levan Gudadze. How hello. are you doing, Levan? It is great to have you with us. A real privilege and an honor. Hello to everyone. It's a great privilege and honor to me to be invited on your great show. I'm doing okay, and I'm very grateful for your attention. Can we Hello. ask where you're broadcasting from, Levan? I am now in Moscow region, not far okay. away from Moscow itself. Great. Great. So Levan's uh, YouTube channel is fantastic. I have Absolutely. a link to that channel down below. It is in the description box when this live stream comes Thank to... You. Comes to an end, I will take that channel link and I will put it in the comments down below as a pinned comment. Hello to everyone that is watching us on Rockfin. Hello, Rockfin. Hello to Odyssey. Hope everyone is doing well in the Odyssey chat. And of course, Rumble, our great audience that is watching us on Rumble. Everyone that is watching on Rumble, please hit that like button to the YouTube chat we go and hello everybody on the YouTube chat. Hope all is well and to our fantastic community on Locals. Hello everybody on Locals, how are you guys doing? Hello to our moderators, Zarael, I saw you somewhere in the chat, the one and only Zarael and I see the great Reckless Abandon and the awesome Alan Watson is also helping us to moderate and and I will also be moderating a bit as well. So hello to our moderators. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on what will be an amazing live stream. Hit that like on Rumble. Hit that like on Odyssey. Hit that like on YouTube. Share this video. Comment on this video. Mm. <laughs> I never say that. <laughs> Alexander, Levan, let's talk about what's going on in uh, Russia, Ukraine, Kinzals, mm. Patriot Air Defense Systems, and the amazing, incredible uh, technology, the software update mm. that has uh, made those Patriot missiles um, just take out Kinzals 100%. Track yeah. Record. Anyway, let's uh, let's begin, Alexander. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the 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 Ukrainian uh, uh, sophistication is extraordinary. There was a rather rather wonderful tweet by somebody called Mikhail Valtsev. I mean, following quite closely, but he said that you know yesterday uh, there was another big Ukrainian mis Russian missile strike across Ukraine. Yes. Russians, according to the Ukrainians, launched thirty missiles. The Ukrainians say 29 of those missiles were shot down. And the Ukrainian energy ministry says that there's been power cuts in 20 Ukrainian cities. So one, one missile was able to interrupt the power across 20 Ukrainian cities. And as Valtisson, who, by the way, has a background in the Swedish air defense uh, 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 system, points out that must have been some exceptional amazing single missile that was able to do all of those things so clearly there's lots of things that are going uh, wrong and are, are, are misunderstood and misreported and i have to say that i i my own view is that the credibility of the ukrainian air defense people has basically collapsed 
over the last couple of days. I mean, I've never taken it particularly seriously, but over the last couple of days, first with that first claim that they shot down one Kim Jal missile that they first admit claimed and they denied and they were more denials and there were more claims that they did it and now it's suddenly become the official line that they did actually shoot down that missile that kinjal missile now with the six that they claim to have destroyed i have to say the point has come where i don't think there's any longer any real point in paying very much attention to what the ukrainians tell us about these things but whom better to discuss these matters with and Levan. And I want to just, be, before we proceed, also say that Levan doesn't just run an amazing uh, channel of his own, which is an indispensable one, but he is somebody who actually, I've noticed, peppers my videos with comments from time to time. And extremely helpful they have been. And I want to personally thank you, Levan, now that you I've got you there for all for all those comments that you've made which i always read and with great care but levan you're in moscow so let's start with the mood in moscow obviously moscow region i think you said not perhaps necessarily the city but um we are definitely in britain in what we call a house of living uh, a, a, a cost of living crisis people are under very severe pressure the bank of england has said that there's a wage price spiral underway in other words prices are rising wages are rising to trying to keep pace with rising prices um that's creating an inflationary loop and overall the financial situation the economic situation in britain is bad but in moscow we were told that the economy was going to crater that inflation was going to explode that people were going to be short of goods, that food was going to run out. I can remember all of these things, that the economy would contract by, well, first it was going to be 20%, then 8%, then all kinds of figures. What is the mood in Moscow? What is, what are the, what is, it, what is the mood in Russia, perhaps, generally? Um, not just in Moscow, but in the region. I mean, are you seeing huge explosions in prices? Are things becoming really difficult for people? Is there an enormous groundswell of opposition to the government building up? Um, first of all, thank you very much for your kind words and for invitation once uh, once again. When it comes to uh, life in Russia in general, probably many even in Russia are surprised how well Russian economy truly did cope with uh, these thousands and thousands of sanctions. I was surprised personally also because uh, Russia, after all, is the most sanctioned country in the world right now. It's it's just unbelievable what uh, Western elites are doing in that sense. But when it comes to life, at the first stage, um, it's a year, more than a year now uh, since this sanction war began, of special military operation and uh, little earlier than that. And at first uh, stage, first few days even, not, not longer than that, there was some... Uh, let's say, uh, panic mode in some parts of society, which is uh, quite understandable. After all, no one knew what will happen tomorrow. Then things uh, come down. And since then, basically, we don't see any huge changes when it comes to inflation or any shortages whatsoever, because uh, you can go in any uh, grocery store, any 
in uh, anywhere basically and uh, you will don't see any lines of people that uh, want to buy something and they don't uh, have opportunity or um, or shortages of any goods or services really i mean everything is surprisingly uh, stable and uh, well maybe it's a too strong word but uh, life is uh, basically okay of course, I should uh, say that uh, sanctions did impact Russian economy and did, uh, in some sense, also impact ordinary uh, life of uh, ordinary citizens' their lives, especially when it comes to, for example, banking system, because uh, traveling become uh, uh, somewhat difficult for Russian citizens because of mm. uh, because Russian banks were cut off from SWIFT uh, system and Russian Mir card, which is uh, Russia is trying to promote its alternative uh, source of it's um, accepted in some countries, but not uh, not is in many countries that uh, we should uh, yeah. we would like to see it. But yes, to you know make my answer as short as possible. Life is good in Russia, really. I mean, <laughs> maybe Western uh, audit audience will be surprised, but it's okay. I mean, no huge explosion of uh, inflation. Um, it's uh, at some point it was uh, even opposite. We did had some deflationary process, uh, mm -hmm. which is also surprising. But uh, yes, and now uh, because it's a summertime, uh, we will probably see also some deflationary processes because of uh, mm -hmm. these agricultural products will increase uh, its presence on markets. So it's uh, it's all okay, really. I, I'm just going to pass on something, by the way, which I. Um, uh, was told by a Russian acquaintance, friend of mine, who's actually come to uh, London from Armenia, of all places. He was in Armenia and he came to London for various reasons. He is very much on the liberal end of Russian politics, though not completely so. I mean, he's not cut off himself from Russia or anything like that. But some of his friends have done and they've left Moscow and they've come to and Russia and come to oh, the yes. West. And he said that without exception, they're all now complaining that they've experienced a very, very severe drop in their living standards. That leaving Russia has caused them to all experience a very severe drop in their living standards. And that's actually, um, they're talking amongst each other about perhaps it wasn't such a good idea to leave and some of them are apparently thinking about coming back. And yes. I was, you know, I found that an interesting thing. But anyway, that's what he said. And he also said that, especially because he's specifically from Moscow, that Westerners underestimate what a modern city and oh, advanced yes. city, Moscow especially, has become. But it, of course, it's not unique like that in Russia today. So um, uh, anyway, I just, I just thought I would pass that on because I thought, oh, obviously, it's an anecdotal thing but it came from someone if you like close to the sort of emigration uh, that's happened i will agree with you absolutely if, uh, if i may take a minute because uh, as you know i'm originally from georgia and many russians for example did live uh, in the beginning stage of special military operation left russia and they went to georgia and many of them are now uh, trying to come back and they can really. I mean, they are not uh, not will be treated any differently. They may think uh, that uh, it, you know there may be some difficulties here, but no. And many are coming back 
many are coming back and i believe since the recent developments between russia and uh, georgia as you know russia did uh, lift uh, visa requirements for georgian citizens and there will be direct flights between two countries and i believe uh, many of uh, russian citizens are in georgia will come back and then may travel again back and forth but in in general i, I will agree that many people that left russia now even famous people uh, let's say not just ordinary people but even mm. uh, well-known uh, public figures are now trying to come back in russia because of uh, living standards that they were used to in russia and then they are in different situations so it's uh, which so is which is for someone like myself as i said you know grizzled veteran of the cold war period i mean that's a pretty extraordinary thing you know that yes. people are complaining that you know living standards in the west are so much lower than what they were used to in russia anyway let's talk about the situation in the military sides because i know you keep a very careful track of things and i'd like to discuss what is the big story at the moment now today in the uh, british media we're hearing about the great victory ukraine achieved in kiev on the 16th of may that they shot down all the missiles that the kinjal missile the hypersonic missile has been exposed as a you know useless piece of junk you can't hit the target it's easy to shoot down um, this has changed the face of war apparently uh, um, putin's bluff has been exposed and um interestingly um the media the british media briefly passed on these american admissions that the patriot missile had been system had been damaged but i've now seen all that sort of melt away we now have everybody saying about the great victory that ukraine achieved over the skies of kiev on the 16th of may the russian defense ministry is telling us a completely different story and i gather that there's been more information from them today do you want to tell us what they're saying uh, basically uh, according to russian defense ministry for example shoigo himself um, defense minister of russian federation did said that uh, by some, uh, um, you know, Ukrainian side now are capable to shut down more Kinjal missiles that we are even using during missile strikes. And he's uh, uh, probably trolling because it's uh, truly laughable. At this stage, uh, these uh, stories mm -hmm. that are coming from uh, Ukrainian side officials in air defense uh, area, it's laughable. No one probably are believing it. And the uh, Russian defense ministry come out with the official statement that during the missile strikes on 16th, five launchers, Patriot launchers were destroyed for sure. And one uh, mm -hmm. Patriot rather. So that's, uh, I guess, uh, confirmed information because mm -hmm. I don't really have a reason to doubt when the uh, defense ministry is so precise in its uh, statements and according to some other uh, data there was two patriot batteries in that area we all see probably these pictures when uh, mm. first time firstly these patriots shot some safety missiles uh, yeah. and then we did see two explosions exactly in that area and according to some reports it was not just one but two patriot uh, batteries there one was uh, destroyed and second one was damaged yeah. So it was a huge blow in my understanding uh, that was done to 
uh, air defense systems of uh, Ukraine. And uh, I guess uh, Washington will be in some uh, damage control mode now. And they will mm. try to minimize effect of this because, uh, after mm. all, they need to sell these Patriots somewhere. And uh, what best way to uh, deny any uh, destruction of Patriots and say that, you know what, Patriot is so good that they can shut down like five, six, ten and, uh, you know, yeah. many more Kinjals, which is uh, just um, hard mm. to believe, truly. My own view is that it was that photo, those, that film which showed the 32 missiles being launched and then the explosions that followed, the two big explosions that basically destroyed any yes. any possibility for Ukraine to succeed in its claim. Because the pictures are there. You can't really get around them. And yes. um, I, I, I also get the sense that the Ukrainians are extremely angry about that film and they've been hunting down the people who made it do you have any information about that? Yes, unfortunately, some uh, Ukrainian bloggers end up in uh, trouble. And uh, as I understand, FSB, uh, not FSB, but SBU, Ukrainian uh, Secret mm. Service, already detained uh, six uh, six uh, bloggers that share this footage uh, on their social networks. And probably they will hunt down many more Ukrainian citizens that uh, just share video that they... Uh, you know, maybe made on their own or just share from some other platforms, which is once again does uh, show how desperate at this point uh, official Kiev is. Because uh, after all, it's uh, they are that claim they are democracy and they have free speech and <laughs> the rest of it. But in reality, uh, unfortunately, Ukraine is a very difficult place to be right now and to to. Uh, conduct any uh, any journalism really mm, absolutely can, can can i just can i just ask because of course the other big story for me about this is that there's now rumors they're not they're unconfirmed rumors that washington the people in washington that the us is actually very very dismayed by what happened in kiev and that there's been meetings now taking place within nato about this because it turns out that the Patriot system that was actually delivered to Ukraine was the absolute top end system. It was the one that was geared towards shooting down ballistic missiles and that it failed in the way that it did has been a, 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 a is creating a major crisis and that there's, you know, all kinds of discussions and talk about this. I mean, would, would that be... Well, that does that make sense? I mean, was this the high-end system that people are saying uh, it was? I'm a, not a military expert, and uh, it's hard to mm. me to say. But that's what reports that we are seeing that this yeah. system was uh, uh, part of uh, anti anti rocket or anti missile uh, systems that US is trying to create all around uh, uh, mm. Russia, at least. And uh, yesterday we had some reports that in in Poland now, uh, there was some meeting and uh, they are trying to, because of this destruction of Patriot, they are now trying to increase uh, defense, uh, air defense of uh, logistical hubs that have been used to transfer Western military equipment to, to Ukraine. In my take, uh, there's no way Russia will uh, conduct any uh, operation on uh, Polish soil, but uh, still this uh, information does show you 
level of uh, panic in the West because yes. this system was uh, especially made to strike missiles, to shut down missiles, and they did not. They just failed. And I guess uh, it's a big deal for uh, U.S., U.S. military industrial complex, U.S. militaries, and uh, that's why they are now in defensive mode, in, in damage control mode now, and trying to somehow uh, change a subject of discussion. And that's why they are trying to, uh, by, by their controlled media, keep uh, society's attention towards these kinjals, many, many kinjals that were shut down. But in reality, I guess... Uh, uh, but, but, uh, Pentagon will 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 have some serious uh, discussions when it comes to air defense systems of the West because if this is the best what they get, what they have, then they have some trouble on their hands. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and I mean, and of course, I mean, it comes in conjunction with the fact that the United States has been. Um, it's, it, it, creating bases for anti-ballistic missile interceptors yes. <laughs> close to Russian territory. This has always, this has been a major issue now for some time. So, you know, if the Patriot doesn't work, um, I mean, that presumably calls into question the logic of that deployment as well. Yes, absolutely, because uh, yeah. uh, Russian side for uh, quite uh, some time, mm -hmm. uh, were articulating this topic that uh, Washington uh, was uh, planting some uh, military infrastructure that was, uh, in theory, capable to shut down Russian uh, ballistic missiles. But it seems like, uh, I mean, if Patriot, as you said, if Patriot is not capable to deal with the current Russian missiles, then, uh, yeah. Yeah. then all those billions and billions probably was wasted. I don't know. Uh, Levan, I mean, I, I'm not a technical person, but, but perhaps you can explain a little bit about uh, Russian technologies or at least capabilities in hypersonic systems, because my impression is that the Kinjal is actually the least sophisticated of these systems. There's, we're hearing about uh, uh, the Zircon, which is apparently yes. a cruise missile, which is apparently a much more sophisticated system. And which is now entering service and apparently flies even faster yes. and also about the avant-garde system which is a winged vehicle yes. which is a glide vehicle perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about what those are and about what the deployment position situation is with them so as you said kinjal is probably least sophisticated among these hypersonic missiles that russia is developing uh, you mentioned avant-garde avant-garde basically has uh, unlimited range that's how capable that uh, uh, glided uh, hypersonic weapon is. And uh, if uh, Kinjal is almost un, uh, unintercepted at this point, how avant-garde, which has a capability to change its trajectory during the hypersonic flight, uh, probably uh, for a long time, there will be no um, weaponry, anti-air, uh, air defense system uh, weaponry that will be capable to deal with it. And uh, when it comes to CIRCOM, it's almost the same as I said, I'm not a military expert, but these two systems that will enter Russian service are much more sophisticated than Kinjal is. And they were not used and I don't think they will be used during this conflict. And uh, I guess if Washington or if uh, NATO 
find it hard to deal with uh, Kinjal, which is improved version of uh, Iskander. That's why they are quite similar in look, these two missiles. Then uh, they will definitely find it uh, impossible to deal with the Circons and Avangards. But uh, unfortunately, I cannot go in details because uh, no, no, but 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 anyway, yeah, I mean, that that provides us. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask is this: of course, you know, um, it's something of a surprise, I suspect, to some people in the West that these missile strikes are still happening across Ukraine, Russian missile strikes. Because I was reading in March last year, about two weeks after the special operation began, that Russia was about to run out of missiles. Oh. And I read that every couple of weeks. In fact, about every six weeks, they tell us that the Russians are about to run out of missiles. Do you see any sign of that from Moscow? I mean, you know, where you are. I mean, is there any real indicator that this is actually mm. the case? No, to be honest, I did find uh, strange that uh, Western media outlets or Western officials did... Uh, pay such attention to this topic that Russia will run out missiles, Russia will run out uh, ammunition when if uh, Russia do knows how to uh, produce something, it's weapons, uh, that's uh, from Soviet era, all those uh, factories, they, they still uh, operating, especially when it comes to production of military systems. And uh, as I understand, and even uh, officials in Russia are saying that production of uh, high-end, uh, let's say, military equipment did increase mm. quite a lot. Uh, so um, there is, it's a kind of, uh, maybe Western elites, uh, uh, Western um, media trying to somehow calm down themselves because there's no mm. way Russia did run out of uh, missiles. Mm. And we are seeing time after time, especially lately, last few weeks that Russia is mm. actually increasing uh, missile, missile strikes. I guess this is in uh, this this is done to uh, influence this so-called uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive that was announced for quite mm. a while now and uh, Russia was very mm. uh, Russian side was very uh, effective to mm. deal with uh, ammunition depots and warehouses but still mm. this uh, increase in Russian missile strikes does showed shows that there is no problem with the uh, missiles or missile production in in Russia, and uh, that's why I find it uh, strange that West uh, even try to manipulate with this topic. I mean, it, who gonna believe in this kind of stuff? I mean, I don't know. Absolutely, absolutely. I've never known a war which the Russians have fought in which they ran out of weapons. <laughs> I mean, that that isn't something that has ever happened. I mean, even the First World War. Where, where they started with a def deficiency. They had yes. actually started to make it up. So this has never been the reason why the Russians have ever lost a war. And I can't imagine that it's going to happen this time. And just, just since you are Georgian, can I just make a further small point, which is that I was told many years ago by somebody who does know that the single individual who played the biggest role in creating oh. the military-industrial complex in Russia was a man called Sergo Orjonikidze, who was the yes. people's commissar for heavy industries in the 1930s. And he was apparently a yes. brilliant manager, and he played an absolutely key role in organizing that. I probably mispronounced his name. For which yeah, Orjonikidze. 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 Anyway, Orjonikidze. 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 Anyway uh, uh, moving on, um, 
let's talk about the battlefield situations because I know you've been keeping a very careful track of that as I'm trying to do. I'm not anybody who has much experience of this, nor, nor of you, but I think we both formed a certain view about what's actually going on on the battlefields. And I do get, again, the very strong sense that Bakhmut has turned into a huge trap for the Ukrainians, that they made a big mistake trying to defend it to the extent that they have. And what is your overall assessment of the battle, uh, of the state of that battle? Um, just a few minutes ago, before we start live stream, uh, I did read on uh, Russian media outlets uh, statements from Denis Pushilin, head of DPR, Donetsk People's Republic, and he is quite careful in his statements. And now his first time said that uh, it seems like Battle of Bakhmut will be over fairly soon. So he was quite optimistic in this statement. And uh, basically, if we take a look on the map, it's only domino part of this so-called citadel area is left under control of uh, Bakhmut garnison. Uh, it's small area, so-called uh, samalot area, aeroplane area, and uh, little part in uh, private uh, housing. Uh, I guess uh, it will, of course, I don't know detailed information if I'm not communicating with PMC or Wagner units, but I guess if they achieve uh, quite significant success during the previous days to establish control over the citadel area, last mm. corner that is still under control of mm. um, uh, Zelensky, uh, or Bakhmut garnison, I guess before end of this week, this battle truly will be, will be over. And my guess is that uh, today, tomorrow, in, in coming days, Kiev will probably try to withdraw its forces from uh, Bakhmut, and they may keep some positions in Krasnoy, that's a settlement between Bakhmut and uh, Chisovyar. They may try to hold on to some positions there, and then uh, Chisovyar. But when it comes to Bakhmut itself, uh, it's, uh, yeah. it's as you said, uh, it's uh, uh, not really understandable why, why Kiev did uh, throw so much forces, so many military personnel in this uh, so-called mid-grinder when it was uh, obvious from very beginning that uh, PMC Wagner plan was to use Bakhmut as a kind of magnet to deal with uh, as many Ukrainian military units as possible and they were very successful uh, doing so. Yeah, um, I, I should say, and I don't know whether you've seen it, uh, Levan and Alex, but there's an extraordinary video appeared appeared from obviously taken from a drone which shows this last remaining area of yes. Bakhmut, which is being fought over it comes with a very unfortunate to my mind classical music track and a yes. rant from Prigozhin as a background but it does give you a very good picture a very good sense of what is left now and it is very little i mean you can you can get it very quickly and the other thing that astonished me watching this film is the sheer intensity of the artillery strikes yes. i mean they, they, they seem to be all over the place all at the same time and going on almost continuously so i i cannot imagine that this place can withstand this kind of attack for very long mm -hmm. no it's uh, just a matter of a uh, few days and the uh, battle of bakhmut yeah. is uh, effectively over i think what did i have to ask this what is the sentiment in Moscow about Prigozhin? 
I mean, we've had lots of speculation about him in the <laughs> West. I've, expre I've expressed my own view personally, which is that I think this, this man has put himself through too much. I mean, I find even seeing film of the fighting difficult, and he's there right in the thick of it. That's my own personal view. But is he popular? Is he not popular? Do people side with him? Um, what, what is the sentiment about it? Uh, I don't have poll numbers. But uh, we, yeah. I can share my observation. Mm. And to be honest, uh, Wagner, Wagner, PMC Wagner and uh, Prigozhin, they are quite popular in Russia. They gain respect in Russian society, uh, especially uh, during the previous uh, few months when mm. uh, Prigozhin became quite active in media sphere. Mm. And the society did receive much more information about uh, Wagner activities on the front lines. Mm. So... Uh, I think uh, Prigozhin right now may be one of the most famous or popular uh, public figures in Russia. Mm. But yet again, I, I don't have poll numbers. I cannot say yeah. uh, exactly. But uh, when it comes to PMC, they are also gaining very significant popularity. That's mm. for sure. Do you think he is a political future in Russia? Do you think he's somebody who might make a political uh, no stance. No. no, no, no. I think uh, uh, some people, because of his popularity, some may think that he is becoming political figure, especially because of this uh, mm. kind of confrontation between him and the uh, mm. leadership of Russian Defense Ministry, but uh, mm. which was too much, I guess, uh, yeah. especially uh, to uh, present this. Uh, conflict on the public domain uh, but uh, I don't think Prigozhin will uh, become political figure or he wants to become political figure I don't think so right well have you heard any further news about what's going on on other battlefields because there's a lot of talk and rumors about you know events in Avdeyevka in the northern in the northern areas near Kupiansk always in Ugladar. Trouble is, we don't have a Prigozhin who's there to keep us up to date all the time. And also, one gets the sense that the drama of Bakhmut, and it has been an extraordinary drama, has yes. basically sucked the attention away from everything else. But there's a quite a lot going on in other places too. Is, yes, is that your... Yes, absolutely. Uh, there are... Uh quite serious activization of sites, uh, let's say, Kupiansk direction. And I believe uh, once the uh, situation in Bakhmut will be resolved, uh, fairly soon after that, Russian side will become quite active in Kupiansk uh, direction, also in direction of Seversk. It's just logical, in my opinion, because uh, next stage uh, will be Ramatorsk Slavyansk defense lines. So to do so, you need to establish control over the Kupiansk and uh, Seversk directions. When it comes to southern part, Donetsk direction, it's uh, Marinka. Uh, probably you all see pictures from Marinka. This town is almost completely destroyed. There's nothing left there. It's just mm -hmm. devastating uh, situation. And uh, to be honest, it seems like Marinka did play uh, almost a similar role as uh, Bakhmut did. In, in smaller scale, but it was also kind of mid-grinder because Zelensky uh, leadership of Ukraine was sending and sending more and more 
reinforcements in direction of Marinka and uh, and uh, you know Russian side according to information that we have Russian side was uh, neutralizing those units one by one and uh, that's what is uh, happening there I think Uglida not Uglida but Avdeevka if you see on the map Avdeevka now is almost in similar situation that Bakhmut was quite a while ago yeah uh, and uh, I guess uh, Russian side probably will try to use exactly the same tactic in uh, Avdeevka also to use this uh, town as a, as a sort of magnet to force uh, Kiev to send more and more reinforcement and deal with these units uh, uh, one by one. And Zaporozhye and Kherson regions, uh, it's artillery duels usually between the sides. And I think yeah. uh, these directions will become a hot point in coming weeks because uh, that's a land bridge between Crimea and mainland yeah. Russia. And uh, this anticipated by many counteroffensive. <coughs> Ukrainian counteroffensive, main part of it will probably take place uh, on that direction, if it even happens, which may yeah. not, because... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come to the counteroffensive in a moment, but can I just make a suggestion about this Ukrainian propensity to cling on to places and to lose huge numbers of men in doing so? Now, this is exactly what you would expect from an amateur strategist who's concerned about face. <laughs> An amateur clings on all the time to yes. undefendable positions. And they're, they're, they have a tendency to, to invest in failure, if you like, because they don't want to lose face by <laughs> announcing pullbacks. Whereas what you have on the other side are complete professionals. Yes. They they don't think in those terms. Now, sometimes, and, you know, you if you've been a professional yourself, you know this, that sometimes a gifted amateur can pull something off unexpected and can win a trick from time to time. It can be very embarrassing yes. and annoying. But over time, the professional... The, the, the professionalism of the professional wins out. And I have to say, I think this is what we're seeing in Ukraine. Zelensky and the people around him are basically amateurs. Even the Ukrainian military leadership, Zeluzhny, who is the commander, he's actually quite young. He doesn't have that you know, depth of experience some of the Russian officers have. And you know, he seems to be very easily controlled by... Yes. Zelensky himself, and he seems to be very ideological. And um, Sirsky is an older man, but he's also got all kinds of personal issues. Apparently, he's Russian, so I've heard, and yes. he's got he's yes. all of those sort of concerns. So it, it, it's it's something that one is used to. And of course, um, you know, sometimes you see it in legal cases, by the way, that you know, that when somebody's representing themselves and have no legal training, they can prolong a case beyond exhaustion but yes. when they lose they lose totally because over Absolutely. time things stack up against them and that it seems to me is very much the pattern that we're seeing in the fighting in ukraine now yes completely agree with you it's a huge difference between approaches that the ukrainian side and russian side has the russian side don't hesitate to uh, leave some positions to save uh, soldiers because uh, uh, that's tactic as I understand of Russian side it's uh, uh, keep uh, 
uh, your soldiers safe because you can always regain positions, always. And that's what Russian side does. You know, it, it, for example, a few days ago, Russian side did uh, leave some positions uh, on flanks of Bakhmut. And what? Russian side did save uh, uh, lives, but during the very same uh, time frame, according to some sources, uh, Ukrainian forces lost uh, 1,500 to uh, 2,000 soldiers killed and wounded. Is it worth it to gain this... Uh, small parts of territory with uh, such high losses. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So approach mm -hmm. between sides uh, definitely are significantly different. And uh, I'm truly surprised why nobody in Ukraine uh, are speaking about it to change something because they are time after time throwing uh, this uh, forcefully mobilized uh, at this stage uh, soldiers, reservists, into mid-grinder in, in different directions, which is don't, don't make any sense, not in military terms, not in any any terms whatsoever. Mm. So I completely agree with you. What is what is the what is the feeling in Russia about the course of the war? I mean, are people nervous about it? Have has there been criticisms of the way the the war has been conducted? Do you get the sense that, especially after the events of the autumn, when as I said, Russia pulled back? In a lot of places, that there might have been, you know, a certain you know, turning away from the government, criticism of the government at that time and of the military leadership. What is the mood now? Uh, basically, uh, yes. At the point, at the moment when uh, this uh, Kharkov regrouping or retreat happened, there was mm. some uh, uh, diff difficult uh, atmosphere in Russia because mm. many citizens didn't understand what was going on and after all we are civilians it's it's obvious that we're not going to understand everything that militaries are doing yeah. uh, but uh, since then uh, let's say what Kherson when it happened situation in Kherson when Russian side left there was no panic really because uh, mm -hmm. this time uh, militaries and the leadership did explain to society what they are doing and why they are doing it so there was a uh, very little uh, destruction in in the society of course there are some criticisms because as i said uh, civilians for civilians it's hard to understand always what is going on but right now to be honest i don't think that uh, there are large number or in society that are critical towards uh, leadership of russia putin has somewhere around 75 to 80 percent of uh, support mm -hmm. by latest uh, latest polls and yes we may see some criticism uh, time to time but overall uh, i think uh, mm -hmm. society is uh, very much behind the behind the government so I, I i should say by the way that there was an incredibly bitter article that i saw in somewhere in the west about a recent researcher used russian social media to interact with young people in russia who is expected to be the most anti-war people. And I get, the, I get the sense that he didn't find that he was making any, well, he didn't make any progress at all with all of that. And he seems to have taken it extremely badly. And um, I also read a long piece by Yuri Levada, perhaps you can explain to people who he is, and his polling agency, but he was coming up with all these polling figures which showed support for the government, support for Putin, support for the war, support of all of those things. And again, you got the sense that he was very unhappy and embarrassed by it. Uh, Levada Center is uh, one of the main uh, 
let's say, uh, organizations that are conducting polls. It's uh, well known in Russia. They are regularly conducting uh, um, social studies. And uh, they are quite re reliable. One may criticize them, one may not. But uh, mm -hmm. even according to data, uh, data that they have, uh, society is firmly behind the uh, yeah. Russian leadership at, at this moment. And uh, you can even from young generation to old uh, generation, you may think that young generation are probably less patriotic. They are, you know, raised on this uh, Hollywood movies and uh, they don't care about anything. Uh, but uh, mm -hmm. in reality, yeah, you're going to find uh, young, young generation are very much uh, pro-Russian and very much, they may not care about politics and politicians that much, but when it comes to mm -hmm. state and lifestyle, then they are very defensive and uh, they are firmly behind mm. Russian interests, let me say this way, because when it comes to politics itself, young generation maybe don't really care about <laughs> elections. And mm. uh, I guess that's the case in every other country also, because I was young yeah. also. And uh... <laughs> I, I should say, I, I, that was exactly my own experience about young Russians. That was some years ago when, you know, pro-Western sentiment was supposed to be very high. I had interactions with some Russian universities, particularly the one in Perm. And I found that the student body, the attitudes there were completely different from what many people in the West thought that it would be. Of course, that was Perm, but then Perm is a city in the Urals where there yes. is known to be a sort of liberal tradition as well so you know it was so anyway but, but i mean they were they were deeply patriotic and certainly not uh certainly not uh, um you know pro-western in any conceivable way um that, that was is, certainly my impression what is uh fortunate what is good uh, that i can uh, absorb you're not gonna see anti-western sentiment Yes, you're going to yeah. see critical attitude towards Western elites in general. Yeah. But uh, when it comes to uh, uh, ordinary relationships between ordinary people, you're not going to find here any some xenophobic stuff that is quite, uh, it's that are now seeing in Western states where, you, yeah. you know, it's almost freely some Russophobic statements have been made in, 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 in different uh, cities or uh, states. But here, I'm happy that we are not seeing any anything like like, like this. So people are still friendly, but at the same time they do understand that uh, it's a conflict between Russia and the Western elites. And uh, yes, when it comes to choosing sides, of course, majority, vast majority is choosing uh, patriotic stance, no matter they are supporting uh, Putin and current uh, ruling party or not. It's just. Mm. Uh, they are on patriotic uh, stance, and that's how it's supposed to be, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, again, I mean, I, I'm only able to read the English language Russian media. But again, it is striking how much more measured they are in, uh, and nuanced they are yes. in talking about the West than we are in here, here in the West when talking about Russia. You read the British media today. I have to say, I, I, I am shocked by it. And, you know... <laughs> I didn't expect, imagine it could be as bad as this. So, I mean, it's good to hear that Russians are not res responding to that in the kind of way that we mm. would respond um, to that to that here. Now, 
What about all these diplomatic initiatives that we're hearing about? Now, uh, the, the African countries are coming to Moscow. Yes. Uh, the South African army chief has been in Moscow. I don't think this has been widely noticed, but he's just been there. But the African states are sending a medi mediation mission. Li Hui has had what I suspect was not a very easy meeting in Kiev, but he's yes. heading to Moscow as well. Um, what is the mood in Moscow amongst uh, people there about these possibilities of peace talks? I mean, does anybody think there's any chance of that happening? Mm. Very few. Very few, because unfortunately, it's quite, uh, even though uh, mm. it's a noble uh, gesture, noble step from uh, China, mm. from South Africa, from other nations, Brazil, that are trying to mediate and push mm. this peace narrative, but unfortunately, everyone, or almost everyone, do understand that as long as Washington and London are not willing to talk peace, talk about peace and peaceful negotiations, these attempts from different countries and even regions will fail. That's an unfortunate reality that we are living in. And I guess once this so-called Ukrainian counteroffensive will fail if it even happens then things will start to change uh, because uh, we are noticing uh, little by little that uh, mood is changing at least in some countries in europe and this support of zelensky and his uh, people not going to continue forever so no. i guess at that point at that point washington and london will change their position and we may see peace truly maybe before end of this year even but not now, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Can I, can I just agree with that, by the way? The, the more the Western public sees Zelensky close up, the less they like him. I mean, he's been in some Western countries now, and people have seen him, you know, close up, not from a distance in Kiev. And he does not make a good impression when he's... And the same, the same was true when he went to the United States, by the way turned up in congress in his flat jacket and t-shirt it, 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 it's it's not something that you get much in the media but even in the media sometimes you know you start to see flickers of criticism whenever uh, uh, zelensky comes to town um can i just say we talked about the west and i just want to i'll get to come to the counteroffensive in a moment but are people nervous about the amount of military support the West has been giving to Ukraine. I mean, mighty United States, Britain, Germany, of course, which uh, Russia has fought wars against. They're giving tanks, they're giving aircraft, they're giving machines, bombs, all that kind of thing. Uh, does that make people nervous? Are they afraid that the Russian army won't be able to cope with this? No, no, not whatsoever. The uh, West can deliver as much weapons as they want, but uh, if they read a little bit, and they probably are reading uh, history of Russia or Soviet Union, they will probably know that uh, when it comes to defending uh, motherland, uh, then uh, society is quite united. Society can society can keep with uh, as as many difficulties as needed for victory. So there is no panic mode in Russia. Nobody, no one is happy, of course, with these weapons deliveries, especially when Germany did, uh, for example, mm. decide to deliver its uh, tanks. Of course, it's um, 
you know, uh, because of this uh, story, Second World War, of course, people were very much unhappy about it, but not because they are afraid of some Western military equipment, but because these parallels that did uh, emerge uh, of Second World War and now again, German tanks are going to fight, fight our soldiers. But when it comes to overall situation, I think uh, you're not going to find uh, panic, panic mode in Russia. Uh, Mm. I guess everyone is understand that if it's necessary, Russian side may even conduct some one more wave of mobilization or second wave of mobilization. Even then, government will not lose its support. As long as people, as long as society is thinking that uh, government is doing all it can to defend Russia, defend Russian interests of Russian citizens, they will have all, all support they need. So you're not going to see mm. some kind of... Uh, panic even if uh, we will see a second wave of mobilization for example that is very important because alex and i as you've shown i'm sure you know we've been saying that the whole strategy in the west is to create panic in russia i mean they don't really have any other strategy i mean that seems to be what this whole thing is about and uh, Ukrainian officials, by the way, have increasingly been talking in that way, that this is what their plan is, to create panic and that, you know, they're going to succeed in this offensive by creating panic. Let's talk about this offensive. I mean, first of all, do you think it will happen? And if so, where? Uh, I think when it comes to large scale, uh, as, you, as we all know, Western officials and Western media are talking about some large-scale uh, counteroffensive that will change tide in this conflict. I was uh, very skeptical from the very beginning uh, mm. about uh, any possibility that Zelensky will be uh, able to pull off large-scale offensive approach because they don't have uh, enough manpower, they don't have enough uh, ammunition and uh, military equipment, but uh, they do have uh, about... 50 to 70, 80,000 uh, reserves. That's the last reserves that they really have that are more or less battle ready, uh, as I understand. And uh, they can use this reserve to conduct uh, uh, offensive, local scale offensive operations in the, in Kherson and Zaporozhye region. And I guess because of this uh, high pressure from Washington and London mm -hmm. and some other Western capitals, um, even though if uh, Zaluzhny, let's say, is sure that this uh, offensive will be suicidal. Probably they will not have opportunity to refuse orders from uh, from their Western masters, and they will conduct mm. offensive operations, and they will achieve some success uh, for first, second days, for a few, uh, for initial stage, because mm. that's uh, just uh, what you ex expect during the, any offensive operation. But once once the Russian defense line will stop them, and once uh, these offensive uh, brigades that are participating in offensive will run out of steam. It will be Russian term, and uh, I think uh, Russian counterattack, counteroffensive, uh, will probably be devastating for those Ukrainian units mm -hmm. that will that will be part of this Ukrainian offensive. And with that, I guess uh, we will see beginning of the end of Ukrainian armed forces as a more or less capable entity. Mm. Because it will uh, impact, uh, it will yeah, impact yeah. Uh, uh, mood and uh, morale of uh, Ukrainian forces all along the front line. 
So that's why I guess uh, lately I was thinking that not just large scale, but maybe Zelensky and uh, his military leaders will uh, refuse if they have enough uh, independence to conduct even local scale offenses because they know this is last reserve they have. If they are losing it, then they, they lost. They have no hope even after that. So I'm quite skeptical about large scale operation, but local scale offensives mm -hmm. in, in the Kherson and the Zaporozhye region, uh, yes, probably will take uh, place because I, I don't think Zelensky or Zaluzhny are able to say no to Washington or, or London. Yeah. I just don't think so. I agree with that. By the way, my impression is that the Ukrainians are now trying to come up with every conceivable excuse that they can yes. to postpone this thing as long as possible. So first it was the weather. Now they don't have yeah. enough tanks. Then they haven't got enough aircraft. They need the F-16s. Yes. They know they're not going to get the F-16s anywhere near in time. It probably never will. So, But they're coming up with every possible excuse that they can come up yes. with in order to put off the evil day when they have to launch this thing which I think they know deep down that they can't uh, succeed in. And Absolutely. Um, by the way, the other thing is that um, the mood about this offensive in the West has darkened or it continues to darken almost all the time. And there was a particularly interesting article by a man called Michael Kaufman. You probably don't know him, but he's a I think he's Australian, actually Australian based, but he's an analyst, very pro-Ukrainian but at the same time, clearly an intelligent man. And he also seems to think that this offensive, is its prospects are not good. So, you know, there's a darkening of the mood about it. And yet at the same time, there doesn't seem to be any way, any will, any ability to simply call the whole thing off, even though it probably, or at least it's my own feeling, will have exactly the consequences that you say. It will throw away their last reserve. I guess, uh, maybe I'm mistaken, but I guess uh, leadership of Western states now are kind of hostages of their own propaganda. They did spoke so much about these offensives and offensives and Ukraine going to win this war and stuff that now they cannot just uh, take another position. That's uh, yeah. my feeling, that they are just hostages of their own propaganda now. So Absolutely. I just wanted to finish with two topics. The first is China. I mean, because one of the new themes that we're getting a lot in the Western media is that Russia has now become a province of China. <laughs> Xi Jinping has come. He came to Moscow back in March. He took over the entire country. Russia is now entirely dependent on China. Now, this is nonsense. I'm not going to ask you to comment on that absurdity. But is this getting any traction? Because clearly these comments are intended not so much, it seems to me, as to inform the Western public, but the hope is that they'll be fed back into Russia itself, that it's going to create problems between uh, Moscow and Beijing, between Russians and Chinese. Does it, is it having anything like that kind of effect? And what, are the, what, is, the general feeling about, what is the general feeling about China? Uh, absolutely not going to... Uh... Uh, affect Russian-Chinese relationships, uh, any attempts from West to, you know, somehow influence that. But uh, when it comes to overall uh, take on Russian-Chinese relationships, I guess society uh, will probably be happier if these relationships, which is on a great level uh, right now, will become even, even greater. 
And uh, maybe Western media outlets are pushing this narrative that Russia is kind of some province now of China. But in reality, all the uh, data that we have does clearly shows that Russia is uh, increasing its trading relationships, not just with China, but also India. Uh, yesterday, we had the information that uh, Russia is the second trade partner to India, which is a huge deal, really. And Russia is very proactive in many other directions. And to be honest, I don't see any uh, um, how should I uh, put it? Um, society is not taking uh, Russian-Chinese relationships with uh, with uh, any uh, threat. Yeah. So it's, I, I, that's my that's my impression too. Um, I should say, and but just to say on on the Indian issue. Russia is now, as you said, India's second biggest yes. trading partner after China. And that is a, a, a complete <laughs> transformation over the last few years. And it's going to grow further because, of course, at the yes. moment, Russia is the big exporter. India isn't yet exporting back. So there's a big imbalance in trade. Yes. Much of this, much of this trade has been conducted in uh, rupees and rubles. Um, yes. Russia is building up big rupee reserves. So they're going to have to spend them in some way. And the way they're going to do it is by importing Indian goods. And India does make lots of things, by the way, contrary to what many people appear to think sometimes, from high technology goods to light consumer goods. You're going to see yes. that trading relationship take off in my opinion, over the next few years. People are underestimating it. Um, I wanted to just finish with your uh, the country of your or your birth, your, na your nation, Georgia. Uh, the relationship between Russia and Georgia has been an extraordinary one, going all the way back to the 18th century and beyond. Um, my own impression, by the way, is that you're talking about the Russians. They've had historically, culturally speaking, a tremendous love affair with Georgia and with Georgian yes. culture. And it is impossible to underestimate the extent of Georgian culture, cultural influence in Russia. I mean, you only have to spend any time in a Russian city to understand this. Do you get the sense that things are starting to improve because they've gone through a very difficult period? Um, We've had the, you know, the visa changes. We've had the flights, the direct flights now. There's obviously a lot of opposition in Georgia itself, which is not, you know, I'm yes. not going to be judgmental about this. I can understand why. But do you think that we're starting to turn the corner here? Uh, hopefully, yes. Hopefully, yes. Uh, uh, I was uh, saying on, on my channel main times that uh, this is first time first decade, Georgia enjoyed a peaceful development since the collapse of Soviet Union with current government of Georgia. And as we know, Western uh, uh, elites, uh, especially Washington, was very active to mm. somehow influence current Georgian government to uh, impose sanctions on Russia, mm. to, to become a kind of uh, even second front. There were much talks that uh, Washington will sacrifice Georgia uh, in that uh, sense. But even in recently, if you remember, there were some uh, anti-government protests in Georgia and reasoning was this uh, law 
about foreign agents, but in reality, uh, many did openly said in Georgia that that was just a reason to shake uh, a situation, to destabilize country and then conduct some regime change mm -hmm. operation. Current government did manage to stabilize situation and uh, statements that we are hearing from Tbilisi are quite optimistic. Just a few days ago, uh, Prime Minister mm -hmm. of uh, Georgia, Garibashvili, did make statement answering criticism from Washington about uh, this improvement in relationships between Georgia and Russia. And he said that if Washington wants to, they can also give us a free movement. They can also uh, uh, open their borders for us. But in reality, even when uh, Russia was requiring visas, 80 percent of Georgians who apply for visa or receiving visas. But when it comes mm -hmm. to US, it's only 30%, something like that. So current uh, Prime Minister of Georgia was quite uh, uh, critical towards uh, uh, Washington. And you're not going to see this kind of stuff very often, uh, especially in, in small, uh, small uh, countries. But uh, yes, hopefully, Hopefully, they will manage to uh, improve relationships. There are some difficulties, of course, because after 2008, Russia did recognize independence of South Ossetia and Abkhazia. That's a big issue between uh, two countries now. But uh, I believe there are some ways to go to deal with this uh, yeah. situation. Let's say confederation. Just uh, South Ossetia, Abkhazia, Georgia can join in a confederative state and uh, Moscow will probably... Uh, not be against this kind of stuff. It will just recognize mm. this new state and that will uh, significantly improve situation on the ground. Mm. Uh, but uh, yet again, I'm, I'm really happy uh, mm. because I'm from Georgia, as you mentioned, and I'm, I'm truly happy that Georgia, after so many troubles, uh, troublesome mm. times, eventually enjoying some peaceful, uh, uh, mm. peaceful development and uh, looks like Things gonna go uh, better if if Washington will not intervene. Once yeah. again, we should remember that uh, yes, it's always uh, this danger that Washington may use its means and then do some regime yeah. change, and God knows what will happen in that case. So just I'm just too quick, just just two things to say about that, Levan. Firstly, um, I I agree about what you said. My own personal view is that the reason we saw this crisis in 2008 was precisely because Washington was intervening. If Washington had just yes. stayed out of it, that would never have happened in the first place. And the second thing yes. is um, your point about Georgia having a decade of peaceful development. My brother, who regularly visits Georgia and loves the country, uh, has confirmed the same thing to me. And one would certainly not want that to change i mean absolutely who would want that to change i mean perhaps some people in washington with their chess games that they always play which are disastrous for the people who they turn into pawns might want to change that but i hope certainly that relations between georgia and russia improve anyway that's what i wanted to say that's me for today i'm, I'm going to thank you levan for answering all my questions i go to pass on to alex now all right, Levan, you have 15, 20 minutes to get to some questions from uh, viewers. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, okay, yes, let's, let's, all right, let's go. Let's get to some questions here. From Andrea Miob, could the U.S. still use countries close to Russia 
to try to keep the war going in the face of peace efforts by China, countries like Georgia and Serbia especially? How can this be prevented? Uh, we just spoke about these risks that Washington can uh, try at least to use some uh, former Soviet republics, in this case, uh, let's say Georgia and Moldova, for example, to somehow um, uh, cause some trouble uh, between the uh, Georgia, Moldova and Russia. Uh, theoretically, it's possible, but hopefully Georgia will resist. Georgia will keep its uh, uh, stand. Moldova is a little bit dif different situation, and we are hearing from uh, the current leadership of Moldova quite strong uh, anti-Russian statements. And uh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid it's uh, even today, President of Moldova, Sandro, did made statement that uh, they are waiting for some geopolitical uh, opportunity to uh, deal with the situation in Transnistria, which is, I mean, one can interpret as a possibility to uh, reopen this uh, civil war that uh, happened decades ago and somehow establish control over this area, which will be great, uh, which will create great difficulties for Russia for many reasons. Uh, when it comes to Serbia, uh, uh, oh, it's, it's hard, to say, hard to say because Serbia is in an extremely difficult situation and hopefully Hopefully, there will be no conflict between Serbia and uh, Kosovo. And if that's the case, then I don't see how how Washington can uh, use Serbia against Russia. We all understand that because of difficult situations, one day leadership of Serbia may impose some sanctions on Russia because of the heavy pressure. But I don't think it will derail uh, friendly relationships between the nations. So, All right. Sajeva Levan, why do you think the Russian MOD and government doesn't take information warfare PR seriously? Proper PR or better development of soft power could have won Russia more allies and even prevented war, don't you think? Uh, I will agree. I will agree that Russia is uh, not uh, really paying enough attention, in my opinion, to, the, to creating this soft power. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, my channel itself is a uh, good uh, example because I do hear from uh, many uh, members of uh, our small community that they are looking for information. They want to know uh, more from other side, but unfortunately, they are finding it a little bit difficult. And it would be great, of course, if Russian government will pay more attention uh, to um, uh, to public relations. Of course, I do understand Maria Zakharova does a great job and uh, probably she is one of the most famous uh, representatives of uh, foreign ministries in the world currently. But uh, as your uh, subscriber mentioned, uh, society probably needs some more information from Russian side. And I guess there is a a way to go there. So maybe in the future, Russian side will pay a little bit more attention to public relations. And one should always remember that Russian media outlets are blocked in the West. True. Many Russian media outlets is blocked and it's not really easy to uh, be presented in the Western world right now. So that's one reason behind, the, behind this. Yeah. Uh, 
Good point. Yeah, very true. Alex K says, Levad, how is the situation in Georgia and where are things heading considering there's a lot of pressure on the government to align with the West? Oh, hopefully, we, what me and uh, Alexander just spoke about, hopefully Georgian government will uh, resist this uh, pressure from the West and the relationships between Russia and Georgia will develop in a better way. I'm absolutely sure that there is uh, every opportunity to deal with the current difficulties between the sides. And uh, yes, hopefully uh, Georgia and Russia will become, if not uh, strategic partners, good, friendly states. And that will be great. Mm -hmm. yeah. so. Jana Williams says, Levan, have you heard of the Fatima prophecies and Russia's role in the world? What do you think of this? Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I did not hear about I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sorry. I think we can we can we'll cover that we'll cover that on our we'll, we'll cover that yeah. okay how about how about Rick F says near one hundred percent captured and Ukrainians hold a few buildings yet yesterday's New York Times headline was gains near Bakhmut raise Ukrainians hope for turning the tide that was wow. yesterday's headline from the New York Times uh, unfortunately unfortunately this. Uh, uh, big names in, in, in media, like New York Times, Washington Post, and many others in UK. They were great, uh, very well-respected media outlets that becoming some kind of tool, a cheap tool in, in, mm. in the hands of Western elites. And this is truly unfortunate because uh, when I was growing uh, in journalism, and I was in journalism since 17 years, I was thinking about these media outlets as a top level. And now we are seeing this extreme deterioration of uh, quality of their work because what kind of change of tide, for example, this media outlet is talking about? It's just, it's not even laughable. It's sad. It's just yesterday's, sad. yesterday's headline. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sad, truly. I mean, in what planet they are, really? I mean, yeah, I agree. Iskander Zolkarnen says Is there a possibility of a military coup in Ukraine? Oh, I think so, yes. I think so, yes. Uh, if and when uh, this uh, so-called or anticipated by many counteroffensive of uh, Zelensky's regime will begin and fail, uh, I think uh, Western uh, states, including Washington, including USA and UK, will uh, probably distance themselves from Zelensky himself. Uh, I guess uh, Zelensky's uh, voyage through Europe, just recent one, uh, maybe was attempt from Zelensky's uh, uh, part to gain some uh, time, some additional time for himself. Also because uh, maybe he understands that uh, West is already distancing themselves from uh, Zelensky. And once this so-called counteroffensive would fail, and uh, if it even never begun, probably Washington and London will distance themselves from Zelensky and they have enough influence on... Uh, Ukraine's military intelligence under leadership of Budanov. And, uh, and uh, they have enough influence on uh, U Ukraine's military that they will probably conduct some regime change. Uh, maybe that's a possibility in my, in my understanding. And Zelensky, if he's, if he's uh, uh, how should I say it? If he's lucky, he will manage to escape. Mm -hmm. But if not, then... Uh, you know. He's got many homes. He's got many homes to escape yes. to. Yes. <laughs> That's for yes. sure. Danielle, Danielle asks an interesting question. 
kind of tongue in cheek, but it's a very interesting question. Do you think Saluzhny will be back from his friend's wedding any day soon? The real question is, um, where is Zoluzhny, Levan? Where is he? Yes, yes, absolutely. For uh, more than a week now, as I understand, there are rumors circulating in the internet that uh, during the one of the Russian missile strikes, um, leadership of uh, Ukrainian uh, military was uh, killed or wounded, and among them, Zaluzhny and Sirsky. And we are only seeing some photographs of these uh, individuals in recent days. They are not appearing in, in media, but uh, yes, I don't know where is Zaluzhny really. That's a question. That's a yeah. question for now. Andreas says Hungarian foreign minister Siarto announced that they had enough of Ukraine and are going to block any further EU sanctions and help for Ukraine. Is it realistic? What will Brussels do about it? Uh, Hungary is one of the few countries in my take that are at least trying to conduct itself as, uh, as adequately as possible in this very difficult situation. But after all, we, you know, uh, only so much uh, pressure Hungary can withstand. Yes, they did uh, block this five or 600 million euro transfer from uh, EU to Ukraine. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, I, I guess after some time, Hungary will be forced to lift its ban. And they are demanding now uh, from EU, as I understand, to, uh, to uh, lift sanctions from one, one of the Hungarian bonds. So it's a, it's a negotiation process between the sides, as I understand. But uh, I guess, uh, at least in Russia, we will uh, always remember that Hungary was one of the few that was uh, at least trying to conduct itself uh, delicately in this very difficult situation. Yeah, there, there, is, uh, there are rumors, actually, and I've had some people email me these, uh, these rumors, this information. Um, where they are saying that Hungary, the Hungarian oil company, I believe it's called um, Alexander. I think it's it's Mol M O L or yes, yeah. They're they're in negotiations with um, uh, you, uh, Naftogas, I believe. Is it Naftogas mm -hmm. or Naftogas? Naftogas. Yes. It's either the oil or gas. It's either the oil or gas. And during the negotiations, there's a lot of Hungarian publications that are saying during the negotiations the Ukrainian oil company actually threatened the Hungarian oil company. And they said, if you don't lift the blockade, then we're not going to, to deliver anything to you. And they actually said, and here's the most interesting part, the Ukraine side actually said that Ursula von der Leyen approved this. She approved of the blackmail. And we've gotten a statement from the EU saying that Ursula von der Leyen never said anything of the such. So she's distancing herself from this, from these negotiations. But there's a lot of uh, Hungarian uh, journalist publications that are starting to talk about these negotiations and how the Ukraine side was uh, trying to, to threaten the Hungarian side. And then they were using the EU to do it. So the, yes. the relationship between the two countries is, uh, is just yes, deteriorating yeah. quite uh, significantly. Yeah, absolutely, yes. absolutely. We'll do a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up. Elena. Iraq is leaving the dollar at this rate. Can the USA afford all these confrontations with everybody? Uh, I'm not an uh, expert in finances, but I guess uh, as long as the US dollar is still main uh, reserve currency, they can afford it. They, can, they will probably, 
increase the debt ceiling in coming days. Uh, they will print as many dollars as they want. In uh, in uh, 10, 15 years time, when uh, the dollarization process will be in full uh, steam, then the U.S. may uh, end up having some trouble. But for now, and Alexander knows about it, and uh, Alex much more than I do. For now, I guess U.S. Uh, is is okay. So, do, do you want to comment on that real quick, Alexander? Or? Well, I, I think I think Levan is absolutely. I mean, Levan. they are going to raise the debt. They will raise the debt ceiling. I mean, that is a given, and they're not going to run out of money at any yes, immediate point. I mean, they're just going to be able to print now over time, and we're not talking about perhaps so much time. I mean, this process has accelerated the move away from the dollar, but it's not going to be visible tomorrow or the day after yes, tomorrow. So, I mean, and you know, we have to work within political time as well as economic time. Economic time is, is accelerating, but it's still going to be in years. Political time works from one week to the next and sometimes even from one day to the next. And we're not going to see the collapse of the dollar in the next few months. Yeah. Uh, John has an interesting comment here. Distinguishing people from their governments seems to come very easily to the Russian people, something very rare in the West. Well, <laughs> I, I, can, I just, yep. can I just comment on that? I, I think one of the reasons for that is the enormous influence amongst Russian society of Russian literature. It's the most literary society. I mean, and um, this is something that Russian literature has always been extremely careful to do. I mean, this is very much the Russian literary tradition. And of course, you can always argue, you know, the literature is expresses the feelings of the people and that the people are to some extent shaped by the literature. But Russian literature has never been, you know, xenophobic or anything of that. Oh, yes. Well said. Uh, DF says, how does BlackRock gas asset acquisitions impact Russian objectives in Western Ukraine? U.S. courts in New York have seized assets in Cuba and Argentina. It's an interesting question. Uh, Alexander, do you guys know about BlackRock? Businesses in general, actually, their their interests in Western Ukraine. Monsanto comes to mind, for example. I'm going to say straight away, I don't think this features on in Russian policy planning at all. I think yes. they have their objectives in Ukraine and I think they're going to follow them. And what the Americans do on the sides, I mean, th- this is now no longer for the Russians, the priority. Their priority is yeah. to achieve the objectives that they set themselves at the start of this conflict back in February 2022. And once those are achieved, then everything else will fall into place. One wonders whether BlackRock and Monsanto and all those companies will really want to be involved in Ukraine at that point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Easy A says, are we officially in Cold War 2.0? Do we have a Cold War? Um, I hope so, no. But uh, there are some indicators that we are if not in Cold War 2.0, uh, no, very close to it, very close to it. So there are some indicators. And first, uh, first of all, this attempt from the West to build some uh, iron carton between uh, Russia and West. Russia did not uh, participate in it, but uh, Western states, unfortunately, did so. And that's uh, 
one thing that very very much reminds uh, Cold War era to our part of the world when it was almost impossible to travel between the sites. True. Jet, Jet said that one says as long as the Western leaders can go on PR visits in Kiev, they have a platform to provide weapons and the Azovs have a platform to terrorize the people within Ukraine. Go for the head, not the arms. Well, uh, well, uh, there are many. Uh, I, did, I do see this kind of questions. One, why, why Russian side are not uh, acting against leadership, for example, of uh, Ukrainian armed forces, military intelligence, or political leadership. Uh, I guess there is some reasoning behind it. There is some reasoning behind it, and it's easy from us to be critical, to criticize. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess uh, I guess I have to trust in, on this point, Moscow's decision, because uh, yeah. it's, it's hard to tell that it will be better if Russia will act extremely aggressively yeah. in this yeah. manner. Very true. Rome, Rome V says, how can... Russia rebuild its military reputation? Uh, well, once uh, Russia will achieve decisive success, there will be no questions left, I guess. So. Very true. And Elza ask, asks, is, if Zeluzhny is really gone, would that change anything to the conflict? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, as I understand, the Ukraine have been run by... Uh, representatives of Washington and London mainly and uh, and the diff changes in uh, personalities in uh, Ukraine I don't think will play a huge role uh, Alexander your thoughts no I, I I agree with that I mean I did I mean we mustn't focus too much on personalities as illusion goes he'll just be replaced by someone else who will be the yes. same or, or, or worse and if i could just ask uh, go back to the previous point about why did the russians go after the command centers well let's just go back to our earlier discussion the one uh, levan and i had with each other about the fact that you've got amateurs in kiev fighting professionals on the other side do you want to replace those amateurs with professionals. I mean, as in the kind of sense, I mean, why would you want to replace a Ukrainian leadership that is acting in the way that it is in, in, in this kind of way with yes. people who might be professionally better? Or the alternative is that you might get people who are more incompetent, but even more violent and even more dangerous and even more reckless. So I think that from a Russian point of view, they've looked at this, they've said to themselves, Going after Ukrainian leaders would not be looked on favorably by most of the world. Nothing yes. much is going to be gained by doing that. So just let's leave them alone. Hmm. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's do one, one or two more. Elena says, Levan, Russia remains friendly towards the West, you say, but do they trust the West after Nord Stream? Um, when it comes to trust between the political leadership, of course, uh, trust probably will be ruined for decades to come, uh, unfortunately. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, it will be very difficult to rebuild relationships between the states. But if we are talking about uh, relationships between ordinary citizens like uh, MI, then uh, there, there is nothing to rebuild because nothing was uh, ruined. You're not going to see here in Russia any xenophobic uh, 
sentiment in public. It's just not happening. So uh, I did see sometimes questions on my uh, on my channel. Is it uh, safe to visit Russia? Because I'm from Western state. And I was answering, I mean, just don't worry about it. I mean, it is no changes happening here in terms of uh, attitude towards uh, Western uh, societies and even states. I mean, no one hates USA or, or France or Germany or any other country. It's just not happening. It's not our thing, let's say. And, and we'll do a last one here from JB6802. Is Russian society horrified by the pushing of sex ed on young children in the U.S.? I think kids have a better childhood in Russia. I think kids have a better childhood in Russia. Uh, well, uh, I guess sometimes I do say that Russia, when it comes to uh, Western civilization and Russia uh, are part of this civilization in some, some sense. Probably Russia is the last stronghold of uh, traditional values and uh, uh, normality, let me say, because here uh, we don't have uh, such a ideology uh, that uh, mm -hmm. in US or in Europe or in, in, in the Western world are now, have been uh, imposed on society. And I'm not gonna say, what is good or what is bad. I'm comfortable here in Russia mm -hmm. that we don't have it. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good place to raise kids and good, good place to live, basically. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Maria, and anyone noted as missing since the bunker, bunker buster bomb in Kiev a few weeks ago? NATO yes, this Ukraine is a top brass. This is a story that simply won't go away. Can I just mm. say, I mean, you know, uh, we've had people in who, who would know and they have repeatedly told us that no one has gone missing. So, yes, some kind of a bunker was destroyed. People were killed. They were almost certainly all Ukrainians. There's no evidence, none at all, that anybody top from NATO was killed. So, I, you know, I, I, I can't repeat this continuously i've said this many times now um this story that hundreds of nato officials or scores of nato officials were killed in that strike yeah. is wrong i mean i, I, I think the story originated in greece actually actually yeah not mistaken. yes yes yeah yeah you're right and rafiq i uh i, I see your uh question with the podcast with uh, dr hudson and E. Michael Jones, we we are working on it, Rafiq. Absolutely. All right, so that is that is everything for today. That was a fantastic live. Thank you very very much to Levan Gudadze. Levan, I will have your channel's information down below as a pinned comment. It is also in the description box as well. Everybody, go check out Levan's YouTube channel. It is uh, one of the best YouTube channels out there. Alexander Mercurius in London. Any final thoughts, Alexander, Levan, uh, before been, we sign off? Uh, he's, been a, he's been a wonderful uh, program, absolutely amazing program. And Levan, let's definitely have you again. Um, thank you very much. I, I cannot express how grateful I am for your attention. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you and thanks to uh, your audience, your wonderful audience. Thank, thank you to our uh, audience as well. I see in the chat. Thank you very much to everyone that was watching us on Rockfin. 
Odyssey, Rumble, YouTube, our amazing Duran Locals community, the Duran.locals.com. Thank you very, very much. And thank you to all our moderators, Reckless Abandon and Zarael, Peter, Allen, Spartan, Warrior Queen. And I think I got everyone for today that was moderating. Thank you very, very much to our moderators. And thank you very, very much to our moderators who also helped us uh, put this live stream together. Thank you guys yes. for all of your help. We really, really appreciate it. Great job. Take care, everybody. Thank you.